according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, in the book of Proverbs. And uh, for this morning, we will turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Our first look at Proverbs 15. And so the recording desk will have to create a new topic for Proverbs 15 and be able to tag the message appropriately. So useful, by the way. I don't know if you navigate the website very frequently, but it's helpful when uh, you can drill down in a book study to the chapter level and and uh, and so forth to find what you're looking for. As I mentioned last week, uh, there were some questions related to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I thought, well, how easy is it? You just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you can just drill down and all the all the classes are there. And you can even drill down to paragraph level in the Corinthian series if you want to um, and uh, have the opportunity to do that. All right, so Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And uh, boy, what a day to hit this verse, huh? <laughs> All right. And, uh, and there it is. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. We're going to call upon our Father and His faithfulness to uh, make this class happen. If He wants this class to be taught, this class will be taught. And uh, I'm not feeling the greatest at the moment, but God's in charge of that too. So let's, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your truth. We thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You, Father, uh, day after day, year after year, generation by generation. You remain faithful. And uh, Father, this is Your glory and Your good pleasure to demonstrate Your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. And so this morning, Father, we call upon Your faithfulness to, uh, to oversee everything that happens here today. We thank You for Your Son and the work that He accomplishes as the head of the church. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit and the work that He accomplishes in communicating eternal truth. And uh, so, Father, we call upon uh, all these things to be active here today so that Your Word goes forth without impairment, without limitations, without... Uh, I don't want it to be damaged in any way or to teach anything wrong to, uh, to my people, Father. I want my sheep to be fed and to be fed accurately. So uh, we call upon Your faithfulness to make this happen. And we thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So Proverbs 15, and we'll get into Proverbs 15. Uh, we're going to talk about some big, kind of big ideas, chapter level stuff first, and then we'll get to more, we'll drill down more into the details of, uh, of verse 1. But uh, transitioning from chapter 14 to chapter 15, we do notice uh, some things that are slightly different now at this point. And uh, so I'll I just simply list this as point 1 in the outline. Chapter 15 has some distinctions to observe. In contrast with earlier chapters in this section of the book, remember what section are we dealing with? We're dealing with uh, with uh, personal and public wisdom. That uh, the first nine chapters I titled parental wisdom. Then the first nine chapters were geared more towards parents and children and the things that we do when we pour into our children, the things that they're going to need before they leave home. When we get into chapters ten through twenty-four, it's more for adults. It's more adult wisdom, things that. You have to live out yourself and your own integrity before the Lord. And you don't have mom and dad telling you what to do all the time in uh, personal and public wisdom. And uh, so this is the, the section we're dealing with here in chapters 10 through 24. And so chapter 15 has some distinctions now. 
in contrast with what we've seen already in 10 through 14. And specifically, uh, one of the things that jumps out at us is the fact that the antithetical parallelism is notably less common. The antithetical parallelism is notably less common. It's been much more common through the first nine chapters, much more common uh, in uh, these early chapters in 10 through 14, uh, but it starts to drop off here in this chapter. The antithetical parallelism. Uh, these are the buts, the but statements throughout the, uh, many of these chapters, right? Where each verse is a dice stitch, each verse is a two-part poem, and you have an A and a B within each verse, two halves of the verse. And typically, uh, the antithetical parallelism is where the B is different from the opposite or different or contrast to the A. So a wise person will do such and such, but a poor person will do something else, okay? Uh, like we have here in verse 1. This is an example. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a, a harsh word stirs up anger. So verse 1 contains an antithetical parallelism. However, um, verse 3, 10, 11, 12, 23, 24, 30, 31, and 33, nine verses in this chapter do not contain antithetical parallelism. And that's a, that's a lot. That's a high concentration uh, certainly compared to previous chapters. All right, And so uh, you'll notice verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. So notice the B part there, it, went just, it just followed along. It went perfectly well with the A part. It wasn't a contrast, it wasn't a but, it wasn't an opposite. All right, It was an expansion of the first half. So uh, and in different Hebrew scholars have different ways to label these. Uh, there's, there's antithetical, there's, there's uh, synthetic, all right, uh, parallel. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's different terms depending on the, the commentary you're reading or the scholar that you're reading. Uh, but the eyes of the Lord are in every place, okay. And then what's he doing with his eyes in every place? Watching the evil and the good. Verse 10, grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. And uh, so those go together as well. They're not contrast, they're not opposites, they're synthetic, they, they're a tandem, they work well together. Um, and uh, that's an example of that. Verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Okay? synthetic. It goes well together. In fact, the second one is kind of a, an expansion, especially with the language like, how much more? How much more? It's like the better than Proverbs that we have in some cases. Okay? So uh, Sheol and Abaddon, wow, now we're talking extra dimensionally now. Now we're talking about the, you know, uh, uh, hell. We're talking about uh, Hades and, and the different dimensions where uh, the uh, departed spirits go after physical death in the Old Testament. Okay? And uh, aspects there. Verse twenty, uh, verse 12, a scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. Okay, not opposites, not a contrast, not a but. Two things that go well together and, and uh, synthetic in that regard or complementary. Sometimes they're called complementary. There's another term for it too. And my memory just won't come up with it this morning. Verse 23, a man has joy in an apt answer. Isn't that great? <laughs> don't you just love it when the right word comes to you at the right time? It never happens to me, but when it does happen, you know, once every 20 years, it's just, wow, 
Mark this day on the calendar. And how delightful is a timely word. How delightful is a timely word. And you have no idea. And sometimes someone just says something just out of the blue and it was the right word at the right time from the right person. And pluckers. Yeah, there you go. See? A timely word is, uh, yeah. Then uh, verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the wise that he may keep away from Sheol below. So uh, complimentary as far as that goes. Verse uh, 30. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. So, you know, <laughs> be of good cheer. There you go. And <laughs> Never mind. Verse 31. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Verse uh, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. So all of those are, are tremendous examples. And it's not the first time we've seen this construction, but previously, in previous chapters, it's been much more infrequent, much more rare. Here in uh, the chapter 15, all of a sudden, to have, uh, what did I say, this was nine of them? Um, to have this many uh, in, in a single chapter is, is noteworthy. So we've made the note, <laughs> okay? Point A is the note uh, for this noteworthy issue. Um, Secondly, speech is a frequent topic. Speech is a frequent topic. And this jumps out at you as well. And this is why I gave you the handout. Uh, this is a handout that comes from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, Walford and Zook. If you have it in hardback or you have it in your Bible software, uh, I, you know, I reference it a lot. And uh, there was a, a chart for this in, uh, in there, and you'll find that yourself if you want to find that. Uh, but verse 1, verse 2, 4, 7, 23, 26, 28, all with reference to speech. And, uh, and it doesn't take long, and that's why you want to kind of discipline your children early to control their speech and develop healthy speech habits, um, different aspects, because if that's not disciplined, if that's not trained, then you get into adult life and your mouth gets you in trouble, all right? And so uh, that's just the way it works. And uh, from verse 1, clearly the gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And, uh, you know, how do you respond when someone comes at you all mad? Uh, you can respond in one of two ways. And one of them diminishes the issue, and one of them, you know, pours gasoline on the fire. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. And uh, we'll have to deal with that at some length because makes knowledge acceptable is, uh, well, well, we'll deal with it. There is a manuscript question there also that we can, that we can address. Verse 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Again, do we ha are we letting the Word of God shape our thinking so that our, sheep, our thinking shapes our words? And uh, what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of the heart is a reflection of, uh, of where the thinking is. Verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the heart of fools, the hearts of fools are not so. Verse 23, a man has joy, and we saw that already, has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Verse 26, evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. That one combines thinking with the words, 
in, uh, in the contrast there. Pleasant words uh, are pure. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. <laughs> okay. No need to even think about it. You know? And then sometimes it's, that's just the smart thing to do. Close your mouth and think about it. All right, Because at the moment, I don't have a good answer. And at a moment, if I, if I unleash those horses, it's not going to be good. Okay? So let's just go ahead and clamp down now. And if you can do that, it's called bridling the tongue. If you can do that, the book of James says you're a mature man. That's a, that's a mark of, of growth at that point. So, uh, Now that's just a sampling of this chapter. When you have your hand out, and I'll show you where I found that, um, let me just open. So, uh, open up your Logos Bible software in your command window. All you got to type is BKC. When you type BKC, that's the shortcut for Bible Knowledge Commentary. And and the little drop down comes up and it says, "You want? Do you want to open the Bible Knowledge Commentary?" And you say, "Yes, I do." And you just click that right there, and there's your Bible Knowledge Commentary. All right. And uh, when I go to Proverbs 15.1, I'll see the same note I saw the other day. And uh, it says, uh, all these verses refer to talking, a subject frequently addressed in Proverbs. And then it says, see the chart, words and speaking in Proverbs near chapter 6, verses 7 through 19. And so um, now if you have a paper, a hardback version of this Bible, of this commentary, Right, because it comes in two volumes. You've got the Old Testament volume, the New Testament volume. If you happen to be reading the uh, hardback version of this, of this uh, commentary, that note is in there, and, and then you have to flip back to chapter 6. Here there's no flipping because you just click. And there's your table, okay? And the table is right there. And I recommend that. In fact, you could even bookmark that and uh, uh, open up your favorites and open up your bookmarks. There's my favorites. And so if you want, you can just bookmark that there with a control shift four. I'm going to add it to that one. There we go. Now I've got it bookmarked. I can come back to here anytime. Okay? And uh, not only can I come back to here anytime, but unlike the handout I printed off for you guys, you guys have a piece of paper in your hand? It's got the same table that you're looking at there, but if you're looking at it in your software, then you can, all of these Bible verses then become uh, hyperlinks. And so you can open it up your Bible and, and then just run through the whole sheet top to bottom just like that, see. And so um, if you want to look at Greek, English, and Hebrew, you can. Or just take it like that. And so um, again, I recommend it. It saves you on the page flipping. It saves you where you're just looking at a table, you're looking at a bunch of references, you can uh, pull all those up, you can click each one of them and, uh, and go through this table in, in fairly short order. But uh, Proverbs does. Proverbs highlights the right use of words, the wrong use of words. And, and it's, it's noticeable. I tell you, it's very noticeable. And, and you know, clearly, children that are grounded in the Word of God are blessed. And they have a, a capacity that they carry with them in, into, uh, into adult life. All right. Uh, as far as the rest of that goes, I think I'm going to let that go. So, antithetical parallelism is noticeably less common. Speech is a frequent topic. Thirdly, there are several references to Yahweh. 
several references to Jehovah in this chapter, more so than any other chapter in, uh, in the book of Proverbs, I think more so. Maybe equal, no, not more so. Chapter 16 has more. Okay? But we begin a section here where there are many of these references. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. These are the things that just jump out at you. And I don't know, are you visual? I'm visual. You know, show me a map, show me a picture, show, show me a chart, and I'll stare at it for hours and I'll learn, I'll learn a lot. Um, and so these are the uses of Yahweh in the book of Proverbs, by, broken down by chapter. Okay? 31 chapters in the book. 21 chapters out of the 31 chapters have, I think it's 21, have uh, references to Yahweh. Okay? And uh, I might be wrong on that. But someone can count those and tell me. <laughs> and you'll notice those, those twin towers in the, middle of the, in the middle of the chart, that's chapter 15 and chapter 16. So that's the section we're just now getting to. Chapter 15 has nine uses, uh, which is comparable to chapter 3 an earlier chapter that had a lot of Yahweh references. Uh, nine uh, in this chapter and 11 in the next chapter. So 20. 20 Yahweh uses in, uh, in these two chapters, right here in the middle portion of, of the book of, uh, of Proverbs. And then really um, there'll be a few more in 19 through 22. Um, it's kind of interesting where you can just scan across the page and find the chapters that are missing. Like uh, there's no chapter 4, no chapter 7, or no chapter uh, 13. And uh, what else? 26, 27. Yeah, so there's, there's only a handful of chapters that don't, have, that don't have Yahweh references. So that jumps out at you. We're going to have a lot of references to Yahweh. As it happens here in verse 3, the eyes of Yahweh are in every place watching the evil and the good. Uh, Verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to Yahweh, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Uh, Verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to Yahweh, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. There's so much doctrine in here. It bugs me when doctrinal believers, you know, they want you to just preach from Paul, preach from the New Testament, and you know, they think that the, the poetic literature, that Psalms and Proverbs is just, you know, whatever. They think it's devotional but not doctrinal. Are you kidding me? I think it's both. Highly devotional, yes, but also significantly doctrinal. We've got Sheol and Abaddon in this chapter. Are you kidding me? There's doctrine, there's meat in this, in this book. And uh, these references to Yahweh, these references to abomination, which we'll, we'll be looking at next. Um... Verse uh, 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before Yahweh, how much more the hearts of men. Verse uh, 16, better is a little with the fear of, the, of Yahweh than great treasure and turmoil with it. <laughs> All right, uh, verse 16, that was 16, 25. The Lord, uh, Yahweh will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Verse 26, evil plans are an abomination to Yahweh, but pleasant words are pure. 29, Yahweh is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. You know how nearby is our Lord? I love love his proximity, I love his nearness. And if I don't feel his nearness, if I feel like there's distance there, well, which one of us moved? (laughs) Okay, It wasn't him, it was me. I went carnal, I put a distance there. My iniquity has created a barrier between me and my God, and I've got to confess. I've got to get back in fellowship. 
Because He's nearby, He's knowable. And a very present help in time of need. So that's, uh, where was that, 29? Uh, 33. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. So that's it. That's the, that's the chapter. And uh, the references there to Yahweh. And then finally, the fourth distinction, we've already seen them, uh, abomination references. Okay? And all three of them are also Yahweh references. So we just read them a moment ago. Uh, but the most abomination references of any chapter in Proverbs. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 26. Okay? And these are the verses that aren't popular today, the verses that liberal Christendom is trying to do away with that uh, that uh, they view the whole abomination concept as as uh, antithetical to their postmodern sensibilities. Um, it's just curious to me this this cult, this mindset that is so uh, embracing anything under the sun, any perversion under the sun is part of their welcoming and tolerance and, and mindset. And it just totally is in defiance, open defiance of what the Bible calls abomination. And uh, so uh, we're not going to hide from those and we're going to see them for what they are. Here's the abomination references. Uh, I believe it's 15 abomination uh, uh, chapters. 15 chapters out of 31, practically you know half the book, 15 chapters have at least one abomination reference in the book of Proverbs. And uh, four um, chapters have two abomination references. And then this chapter, all by itself, chapter 15 has three abomination references in uh, the, the tot levah Hebrew vocabulary that, uh, that is found here in this chapter. So uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes, that's ten chapters with one, four chapters with two, and uh, this chapter with three. That makes 21 altogether. All right. Just some quick math to make sure I'm not losing my mind or going with an amnesia episode here this morning. I can tell. It's been, even Monday night at Scrabble, I was having trouble adding up my words and thinking, this is, this is not good. All right. A prayer for that. So these are the distinctions now in chapter 15. And so for this morning, we start with uh, verse 1. And really, you don't need me. Uh, this verse preaches itself. <laughs> okay. Uh, verse 1 preaches itself. And that's true for a lot of the book, clearly. Um, I don't know what lesson number this is this morning, but I felt pretty useless for most of this series because Proverbs preaches itself. That's the nature of a proverb. A proverb is a, a, it is a short, pithy statement that is self-evident, self-explanatory, and uh, it, it just ultimately God lays it out there on that simple basis. Verse 1 preaches itself, when receiving verbal anger, when, when you're on the receiving end of a, of a, of a temper tantrum, <laughs> when you're on the receiving end of a, of a diatribe, when receiving verbal anger, we can verbally respond in one of two ways. Okay. So it's coming at you. That's, that's the assumption here in, uh, in, this, in this verse. The gentle answer turns it away. It turns it away. It turns away wrath. It deflects, you might think. So <clears throat> it turns away wrath. In a sense, the wrath that already pre-exists your gentle answer. 
The wrath already exists. The wrath is being expressed. The wrath is coming at you. But you need to turn it away. Okay? You don't need to throw it back. You need to turn it away. Understand the difference? Because the turning it back is the second part of the verse. A harsh word stirs up anger. And so your harsh word, your painful word, your painful word is where you're turning it back. Because uh, you know, when the wrath is coming at you, when, when, when you're receiving verbal anger, it hurts. And maybe your mother taught you years ago, she had that nursery rhyme that whoever invented it's a moron, that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a lie. That is a, words do hurt. The Bible says words can, can hurt. And common experience says words do hurt. We experience it. There can be words spoken 20 years ago that still hurt to this day. We get that. And we're going to show you the scriptures that defend that. That that defend the view that words do hurt. They even break bones. So the nursery rhyme itself is almost in defiance of scripture. See, it breaks bones metaphorically, but nevertheless, it's curious to me that uh, that whoever created that little ditty, that nursery rhyme thing, that, that they use the, 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 break, the breaking of bones in a way contrary to what the Bible talks about when the Bible uses the breaking of bones metaphorically in response to words. It's like the author was trying to be unbiblical intentionally or something. Alright, so we've got two options. What are we going to do? <laughs> the problem is, is we often don't stop and think about it. <laughs> okay? The problem is we don't like, you know, that we're receiving this wrath and then in our mind's eye, you know, these, these little menu options pop up where we think, okay, do I do this option or do I do that option, right? We don't usually slow down enough to consider that, okay? Like in Terminator, I think it's when I first saw that. In Terminator, the, the guy's, you know what I'm talking about? And he's given all these options and he selects the one he wants and it's kind of funny. But um, that doesn't happen. But it should happen. We should train ourselves to stop and to recognize Every time someone's hurling abuse at you, stop and say, okay, Proverbs 15, 1, I can do one of two things here. We can do this the right way or the wrong way. We can do this the biblical way. We can give the soft answer, the gentle answer, or the painful word. Okay? So the gentle answer deflects. So point A, the gentle answer deflects. And that's what it is. It's just a deflection. It's like in the old kung fu movies and Bruce Lee and some, you know, an axe just got thrown at him. And what does he do? He just swats it away before it can kill him, you know? And, uh, and he doesn't even hurt his hand when he does that because he's tough. And, uh, and he just, he's, his hand swats it away, um, hitting the side of the, the knife blade and whatever, and it goes flying off the other direction. Okay? And then he goes beats up the guy. Um, from Seattle, Washington, by the way, Bruce Lee. Just, just saying. <laughs> deflects. Deflects. Okay? Because you don't want it to cut. You don't just want to stand there and let the axe chop you in the, in the, in the gut. Okay? You want to deflect it. You want to turn it away. The Bible doesn't tell you just to sit there and be a punching bag. Just to sit there and be a, you know, be a victim. You know, wrath's coming at you, just take it. No, turn it away. If wrath's coming at you, that means God has selected you to minister. 
you now have a work assignment. God has chosen you to be the speaker of truth to a person that needs truth at the moment. How do I know they need truth at the moment? Look at the vile stuff they're spouting. Look at, look at the wrath. Look at something's going on, right or wrong or whatever. Maybe they have valid reasons and maybe they don't. doesn't matter. You now have an opportunity. You and I, we, the victim of this, who's not going to be a victim, because he's going to deflect the wrath. He's not going to absorb it. He's going to deflect it and he's going to minister to a soul that needs that. And so that gentle answer provides the, uh, the soothing, provides the calm, provides the benefit in that, uh, in that regard. Now this is not the only proverb that addresses this. Uh, Proverbs 25 will also um, address this. It's almost like uh, in this collection here, remember starting in chapter 5 there's a new collection that were gathered during the days of Hezekiah and the Holy Spirit said, you know what? Add those to the Solomon corpus. Add those to the canon of Scripture. They were also Solomon's Proverbs. These also are the Proverbs of Solomon, but they weren't added to the canon for 300 years. They weren't added to the canon until Hezekiah's day. So these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so it's like having been blessed by Proverbs 15, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they collected a couple of other Proverbs that addressed this as well. Verse 11, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. What a blessing. They're hollering at you with all kinds of stuff and you're going to hand them golden apples in silver sockets. <laughs> you know, It's like, can I bless you today? Can I? And that's what you do with your gentle answer that turns away the wrath. And you want to bless that person. How about uh, verse 20, no, verse 15 of the same chapter. By forbearance a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. There you go. A soft tongue breaks the bone. I think that's the verse that totally throws the, the nursery rhyme out the window. So, okay. But how about a ruler? You know, if you're standing in front of a judge, you're standing in front of a politician, somebody in political office, somebody in authority, or a police officer standing at the side of the road. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it would really be nice if you got a warning today. Uh, you know, a warning would be less expensive than the ticket, Okay. And so what do, you, what do you think? Is it going to be the gentle answer or going to be the harsh answer? You know, you start chewing out that police officer. Who knows what kind of a bad day he's already having before he pulled you over. Yeah, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to get a couple of tickets. You, can, you may get two or three things added on there. Okay, like that broken taillight that just got broken or whatever else. Okay, or the soft answer, the gentle answer, the quiet answer, the, the respectful approach. There's always a benefit to that. And then in chapter 29, in verse 8. Scorners set a city aflame, but wise men turn away anger. And that's probably the closest parallel to 15.1 because it includes both the flame and the, the, the quiet answer. It includes the, just the riot. I mean, do you want to stir it up or do you want to, you want to quiet it right here, right now? Okay. And then a lot of this too is, is it, it was, I always found it amusing with the sheriff's department because they had 
classes that could have been taught from the book of Hebrews, I'm sorry, from the book of Proverbs, but of course they would never develop curriculum from the book of Proverbs. Uh, yet they were teaching, teaching these kind of ideas, right? Because it was all a part of the use of force continuum. And you want to train our police officers that if you're having a confrontation with an inmate, you don't just immediately go for the firearms and, and you're not authorized lethal force for an argument. Okay? And so you have verbal skills that they would develop and they would teach you how to de-escalate the tension. That, uh, that depending on how you respond verbally with a, with a suspect or with an inmate, that you can either uh, kind of calm things down or you can ramp things up. And, and really what they were teaching was Proverbs 15.1. <laughs> they just couldn't put Proverbs 15.1 in their curriculum. And so they would cite, uh, you know, psychological studies. They would cite, you know, different things about use of force. And, we, and if you can resolve it verbally, that was always better than resolving it physically. Resolving it physically was better than resolving it with weapons. And, and you know, there was a, a scale of things that you would do before you reach the point of deadly force, see. Um, and so there's a whole spectrum along the way. But at the verbal la- layer there in the use of force training, they would use what we're learning here this morning. Don't add gasoline to the fire. Okay? Quiet it down. Settle it down. And uh, we have the, the aspect of it there. So, scorners set a city aflame. And it's, it's interesting how they'll, they'll feed each other. Uh, one scorner, two scorners, a hundred scorners. You get, you know, a hundred Arabs that want to go to the fence in Gaza. And even though they were told not to, don't go to the gate. There were leaflets dropped saying, if you approach the, the, the fence, you will be shot. And so what do they do? They send 100 people out there and 50 of them get shot. Anyway, um, you can escalate things, you can decrease things. And when they're escalating, they feed each other. The scorners multiply and they influence others. And you get brave when you're in a mob because that mob mentality takes over and, and there it is. All right, so those are the references there in Proverbs. Interestingly enough, we have an assortment of stories in the Old Testament that illustrate this very same point, including Joshua 22, Judges 8, 1 Samuel 25, and then my favorite, of course, comes from the New Testament in James 3, uh, verses 17 and 18. It talks about the tongue, and it's a fire. The tongue can be so destructive uh, there in in the book of James. Uh, But let's look at Joshua Let's start with James, because I'm going to run out of time. <laughs> so that way if I give you James 3 now, then you've had it, and uh, I won't feel bad about running out of time. James three seventeen and 18. All right, 3.17. You know, the, uh, and the tongue actually comes up earlier in the, in the chapter um, about the flame, the tongue is a fire. So um, just like a, a little bit, a tiny little bit in a great big horse can steer the horse whatever way. A tiny little rudder on a great big ship can turn the ship whatever way. A tongue, a tiny little muscle, <laughs> and yet gets you into so much trouble. Verse 5 says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. 
The tongue is set among our members is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. And uh, yeah, the tongue is dangerous. Every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. Can you imagine? It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. The same tongue. The same tongue that can be singing a hymn of praise one minute can be uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain the next minute. The same tongue. And so uh, we've got to tame it. And it comes though from the source of wisdom. And that's why I listed verses 17 and 18 here. That's not an accident. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. That's the gentle answer that turns away wrath. It comes from the source of God's wisdom. It doesn't come from earthly wisdom. It doesn't come from your flesh. Reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Fundamentally, those two verses are saying if you live your life according to the book of Proverbs, (laughs) then you are expressing God's wisdom. And this is going to be the effect. These are going to be your character traits. It's almost like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But the world's wisdom that precedes it, oh my, the wisdom that comes from Satan, the wisdom that comes from the cosmos, that's verse 15. It's not that which comes down from above. It's earthly, natural, demonic, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There is disorder in every evil thing. That's the source of the ugliness. That's the source that receives anger and just dishes it right back. You're going to fight fire with fire. You're going you're to outdo the other in his darkness. And that comes from cosmic wisdom. That comes from Satan's wisdom. Earthly, natural, demonic. So, no, we want the gentle answer. We want the gentle answer that comes as a reflection of God's wisdom transforming our soul. And it might surprise you at first. <laughs> it might surprise you when you apply this when you in faith live it out and you accomplish it and it works and then you kind of walk away and then you're amazed by two things. You're amazed first of all that you held your temper in check and didn't fly off the handle and God's grace uh, was marvelous there. And then you're amazed a second time when the gentle answer worked. And when you de-escalated it and the person calmed down and you found that there was fruit that was born there and you found that Jesus Christ was glorified in uh, in the process. All right, so that's James 3. Now let's go to Joshua, Joshua 22. All right, and you know sometimes when people are all mad, uh, it's, all it is is a misunderstanding. You know, I mean, it's not even, they're, they're all mad about something that's not even true, but they think it's true. Or they heard something, or somebody told them something, and they just assumed that this is what was going to go on. Okay? And so then they fly off the handle, and, uh, well, a gentle answer can kind of calm things down and say, well, I think uh, you're mistaken, uh, you're on a bad assumption here. Can I tell you what, what the, real, the reality is? Let me show you this to you here. So, Anyway, that's kind of the whole summary of the, of the chapter. 
uh, Joshua 22, the wars are over, things are conquered, the land's being divided, and there were two and a half tribes that were going to go back across the Jordan River because before they crossed over, they had some, some highland uh, realms over there they wanted for their cattle. And, uh, and so uh, Reuben and Gad and, the, and half of the Manasseh tribe uh, were going to stay in the, in the Transjordan, whereas uh, the other uh, half of Manasseh and all the other tribes were going to be on uh, the western side of the Jordan River. And so uh, they're getting ready to head back across and say, okay, war's over, we can go home now, right? And so now they're kind of separating and, and doing that. And uh, in that process then, verse 10, when they came to the uh, region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard of it, that is the other tribes on the western side. Behold, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. All right, makes sense. They did it, we heard about it. And when the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. Okay, that's a problem. <laughs> this is more than just anger here, this is serious. And uh, so the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gideon. And then who do they send? Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. He's a hero of mine. I love Phinehas. Phinehas stopped a plague with a, a spear one time with a couple of fornicators and one blow grabbed him in the act and just pierced him through and ended the, ended the, the, uh, the plague at that time. And with him, ten chiefs, one chief for each of his father's household, from each of the tribes of Israel, and one from each of them was the head of his father's household among the thousands of Israel. So a leading prince, a leading chief of these, uh, of these tribes, plus the half-tribe of Manasseh. And they came to the sons of Reuben, and to the sons of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel. Why did you build this altar? You know, they're making an assumption, right? Because those two and a half tribes were, supposed, were going to the eastern side of the Jordan and setting up their, their land grants over there. The tabernacle was still in the west. The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, uh, all of the, the approved places for worship, Right? The, the, the laver and the, and, the, and the altar for the, the, the burnt offerings. That all belongs in the tabernacle. That was stayed in Shiloh. That was in the west. And here they are going to the east putting a, a big altar there. A big old altar, right? We were told it was a large altar in appearance. And uh, so they, uh, they come and they demand to know here. I mean, they, they come for war. What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel? You're committing adultery. You're abandoning the God of Israel. Turning away from following the Lord this day. You're apostate. You're committing apostasy. Uh, by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day. Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us? from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord. 
I mean, they're still recovering from that destruction. They're, they're barely through that episode. That's the one I was talking about where Phineas took the spear and ended the, the fornication in, in the act. Uh, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, He will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. And this is kind of curious. This is, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. <laughs> in, the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in Israel, the tribe of, uh, of, of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh are, uh, are committing apostasy. Do the other tribes have an interest in that? They do. Judah does. Benjamin does. The other half-tribe of Manasseh does. They all do. We might be different tribes, but we're all Israel. And if God's wrath comes upon Israel, if one member suffers, all members suffer. And that's true more so in the body of Christ. You know, if I, if I learn that, you know, something's going on and I'm going to either stop it or I'm, what's going to happen here? What are we going to do? All right. Now, thankfully, at least, they stopped long enough to ask these kind of questions before they just, you know, it wasn't shoot first, ask questions later, but they're ready to shoot. They're just waiting to get the, the answer here. So, if, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord, you know. Uh, they're kind of suspicious that the reason why they didn't want to cross the Jordan, the reason why they wanted those eastern lands was because of an idolatrous heart. So now they're kind of inviting them, you know, give up on the east, come over back to the west, we'll, we'll share. Anyway, if however the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us, only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban and wrath fall on the, all the congregation of Israel? Remember the story at Ai? And uh, the man did not perish alone in his iniquity. There was a, a, a group punishment, a collective punishment there because there were conspirators that helped him cover up his crime. They knew what he had hidden and where he had hidden it. So, then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. And this is an illustration of a gentle answer to turn away wrath. They had wisdom in how they answered. They didn't just get all mad. They didn't respond. All right, you know, they didn't... uh, tell them to drop dead. They didn't grab their weapons and take them on, you know. Be kind of a little bit outnumbered there, ten and a half tribes to two and a half tribes, but uh, anyway. So they answer with a gentle answer. The mighty one. God, the Lord, the mighty one. God, the Lord. He knows. And may Israel itself know if it was in rebellion or if an unfaithful act against the Lord do not save us this day. If we have built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord or to offer a burnt offering or grain offering on it, or if to offer sacrifices of peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it. If we're setting up a competitor or an alternative to the tabernacle, then God can strike us down. Because He says that's not what we're doing. That was the gentle answer. And they're leaving themselves in God's hands. But truly we have done this out of concern. For a reason, saying in time to come your sons may say to our sons 
What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you, and your sons, and you sons of Reuben and sons of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Wow. Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> hmm, okay. I mean, the half-tribe of Manasseh, at least they've got a half-tribe over there that they can claim some kind of kinship, but Reuben and Gad, they might start to be considered as foreigners, as, as neighbors, you know, as, as you know, across a border instead of within, uh, within Israel. Which is why I think that the, the whole British mandate is pathetic, the way that they gave the Transjordan to the Arabs, but that's my opinion. All right. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offering or sacrifice, rather it shall be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that, uh, that uh, we are to perform the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. They've got this reminder right there that, hey, we're with you, we're, we're the same as you. Therefore we said it shall also come about if they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, we shall say, see the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or sacrifice, rather it is a witness between us and you. We're, we're with you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offering, for grain offering, for sacrifice, besides the altar of the Lord our God which is before His tabernacle. They're not trying to build a second tabernacle. They know there's one and only one. So, when Phineas the priest and uh, his spear <laughs> and the leaders of the congregations, even the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the sons of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the sons of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Alright? And so there it is. And that's, uh, that's, the, that's the episode. Okay? And it may not be one that we're familiar with or not very commonly taught or known or or whatever. Maybe it's the first time you ever heard a story like this before. But it's an example of that gentle answer turning away wrath. And so we have a lot of patterns here and a lot of things that we can learn from. And I think uh, not only it illustrates how that gentle answer is, is, is the, the right answer, but I think it also illustrates that a lot of times the anger coming at you is coming at you for the wrong reasons. The anger that's coming at you is coming at you because of an assumption and just a misunderstanding. And so if you can clear up the misunderstanding, then you end the anger and, and, and there you go. Okay? And that's, that's true too, by the way, not just between nations, but how about between husbands and wives? <laughs> because you know, she thinks you did something and I, I didn't do that or I didn't mean to. You know, can we clear this up? Right? Or, or he thinks that she did something you know, and she didn't or didn't mean to. And, and so it's, all it is is just a misunderstanding. And they said something that came out wrong and wasn't what they meant to say and they don't even remember saying it, okay? Because they're prone to amnesia. <laughs> I don't remember saying that, okay? Whatever the case may be. So the gentle answer can turn away wrath that said, did you really mean to say? Because that's what I heard. And, and then the, you can work it out and, and not, not go to war. 
Okay? Also, you know what else you can learn from this chapter? Maybe before they built the altar, they could have told them ahead of time. <laughs> hey guys, on our way out of town, we're, we're going to put an altar up there as a memorial. And, and we, wanna, we don't want you to think that, you know, this whole explanation that came after the fact, couldn't they have given that up front? Couldn't they have given that ahead of time? When the, when the two and a half tribes were getting together and they came up with this idea, said, hey, you want to build an altar? Why would we do that? Well, you know, I mean, they, they clearly they had a lot of things thought out. They had a lot of concerns. They agreed amongst themselves. You know what? That's a good idea. Particularly the two, Gad and Reuben, uh, that, you know, this, this is a real good idea. And the half-tribe of Manasseh went with it. So at, at that moment, once their thinking all fell into place, they should have gone and talked to Phineas. <laughs> they should have gone and talked to Eliezer. They should have talked to the to the uh, to the tribes on the west before they even went to the east. Before they parted ways, you know. Hey, you know what? We're thinking about doing this. You guys think that's a good idea? Okay, because if you don't, we won't. You know. <laughs> but if you're okay with it, this is what we're going to do. Just talk ahead of time. Talk ahead of time. That way, those people aren't going to assume that you're doing what you're not doing. Okay. And uh, whatever the case is there. Okay, so that's the example from uh, Joshua 22. We've got another example from Judges 8. Book of Judges, chapter 8. This is Gideon. And uh, in chapter 6 we have the fleece. In chapter 7 we've got the 300 men. We've got... uh, all the things that we know about Gideon. And then we have chapter 8, something maybe we don't know about Gideon. And it's, uh, it's interesting. So um, in chapter, at the end of chapter 7, the, um, boy, how do I break this down? All right, so they capture uh, the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb. <laughs> convenient. And they killed Zeb at the wine press of Zeb. <laughs> I mean, why did they hide there? Uh, okay. While well, they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Orb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. All right. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, what is this thing you have done to us? Not calling us when you went to fight against Midian. And they contended with him vigorously. And so you got anger, and the anger is based on hurt feelings, and the anger is based on being left out. And, uh, you know, why did you not call us when you went to fight against Midian? And so they're, they're offended. Their feelings got hurt for whatever reason. And why is it personal? And why, you know, who knows? And, and sometimes there's no good reason. It just is. The person got offended. But he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, into your hands, and what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Okay? So, I don't know. Um, people will get out of, out of you know, 
And sometimes there's no reason. And sometimes it's a stupid reason. Okay? And uh, you usually don't get too far by laughing at him and saying, well, that's a stupid reason. All right. And that's not the gentle answer. That's the fire. That's fighting back. Because that's a hurtful word. That's a hurtful word. We don't want to cause them pain. The idea of the hurtful word, the pain-causing word, the second half, and we'll do this next week, the second half of verse 1 is the hurtful word. Because you've been hurt. The anger coming at you hurts, so you want them to hurt. And it may not even be connected to anything they're saying. It's just something else. You can drag up something from 50 years ago and make them, you know, hold that against them, make them hurt with that. Okay. No. And Gideon could have. Gideon could have mocked them. Gideon could have told those Ephraimites to say, well, you're a bunch of losers. My 300 men can, can whoop you too while we're at it. How about that? You know, I went and I killed Orb and Z because you guys couldn't handle it. You know, I didn't invite you because I don't trust you. Things like that, right? I mean, we, you, he could have insulted Ephraim all day long. And that Ephraim was the most populated tribe of the, of the northern tribes. Judah was the most populated in the south, but in any event. Instead, you know, um, anyway, it's a good answer. Uh, next week we'll look at 1 Samuel 25 because there's actually two illustrations. 1 Samuel 25 shows up in both points. The gentle answer and the harsh answer. And there's just different verses through the chapter because in 2 Samuel 25 you've got Nabal who's a fool, but Abigail, his wife, is, is a genius. Okay? Abigail, his wife, has the gentle answer, has the wisdom. And even though Nabal's the fool with the harsh answer, and then David was ready to respond with a harsh answer until Abigail comes along. And so both sides of uh, the A side and the B side of this point are illustrated with uh, with 1 Samuel 25. So we want to take some time with that. Um, and then uh, there's other illustrations in uh, Proverbs of the harsh, painful words that uh, fan the flames. And uh, also a, a chapter in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 12, that illustrates the harsh answer that stirs up the flames. So uh, deal with that next week, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. Father, thank you for providing the uh, physical health and strength and the, the mind to uh, remain clear and the memory to be able to, uh, to uh, teach the Word of God. Uh, thank you for your grace and your faithfulness in, uh, in all things. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.